do not adjust your podcast sounds. The host of this podcast is going to sound a little different, maybe a little deeper voice, because it's not Adam Azer. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. I'm Chris Towers, here with Heath Cummings. Hi, Heath. Hi, Chris. Thanks for the enthusiasm. I'm and just Scott trying White. to, I thought you were doing Adam, I was going to do you. <laughs> I'm always enthusiastic. I don't know what you're doing. Scott. Are you sure your voice is deeper than Adam's? Especially considering Adam, like, artificially deepens it, right? We've, we've I revealed liked, that before. Whether it is or not, I like to think it is. I don't okay. know why it matters to you. Uh, you know, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> So, we are in the midst of our position preview podcasts. If you have not listened, we've done what? Starting, no, we've done relief pitcher, catcher, and first base. Go back and make sure you listen to those. We'll probably move our way through the rest of the infield and the rest of the positional spectrum moving forward. But today, we're just going to do emails. We're going to catch up on a lot of news over the last few days, including over the weekend that we haven't gotten to yet. And we're going to do more of your emails. So, we'll start with an email from Scott, not Scott White. I listened to the RP Preview podcast and was disappointed there was no discussion of holds. I play in a head-to-head categories league with saves plus holds as a category. Where should guys like Miller, Archie Bradley, Dallin Batantis go relative to the top closers? Heath. Hold my hand. Like, he wants us to hold his hand. Sure. In this category. And I am happy to do it. This podcast think, is going off the rails already. This is absolutely an area where we could do a better job. I, it, am I, is it wrong to say, Scott gives the shoulder shrug because it's not a traditional fantasy baseball no, category, I, so why I just should we acknowledge it? I just think it's, go ahead and finish your point. I'll... There's no argument that Andrew Miller is basically an elite reliever if we're counting holds, right? Uh, I'm looking at the holds plus leaders so right this now. Is, this is the problem. He was among the leaders in holds last season. He was tied for second. But the leader in holds only had 30. Okay. The leader in saves, or the number two had 29. Andrew Miller was actually tied for third. Sorry, he had 27. So, you're not going to get as big an impact from those guys. Although Andrew Miller probably saved like seven or eight games last the year. The difference with Andrew Miller is, yes, I think that's accurate. Maybe only five. Um, I think the difference with Andrew Miller is, he is as good as any reliever mm-hmm. in all the other categories. He takes a huge hit because he doesn't get the saves. He only had two saves last year. So, and what, five wins? Yeah, four wins. I would, I'm gonna go out on a, on a limb right now and say the way that Andrew Miller is used, the combination of holds, saves, and wins that we saw last year should be higher next year. I don't, I don't think that it should be normal for him to be that low. Uh, yeah, I mean, because Andrew Miller specifically is a pitcher who we, um, already Already regard as mixed league relevant, certainly in categories leagues, regardless of whether or not he's getting credit for saves or holds. Uh, you know, the, the idea that he would at least get two thirds of the way to what a closer would get in a saves plus holds category makes him potentially top 12. I think uh, I, I would put him fourth. I don't know. Here's the thing about holds though. Did you mention who led the majors in holds last year? Uh, Taylor Rogers. Taylor Rogers with 30. Did you mention who was second? Nick Vincent. Nick Vincent with 29. Names we've probably never talked about on the podcast before. And between 20 and 30, so just a span of 10 holds there. So, you know, much shorter range than you see. It's much smaller range than you see in saves. 
There are 33 relievers last year between 20 and 30 holds. That's a lot. I would venture to say most of them were relievers we didn't even expect to be good at the start of the season. How many of them were actually good? I would say the point is probably that you shouldn't you shouldn't change things all that much, but what it does do is makes I think it flattens the playing field at reliever. It makes Agreed. the elite closers probably a little less valuable relative to the group. It also means that there are more valuable. It makes you know a a non closer that we talk about pretty regularly is someone like Kyle Bearclaw, who we think could have a chance to get the closers role, but also had twenty two holds last season. Should put up a lot of strikeouts. Should have pretty good rates. That's those are the guys who get a little more value. I don't think you go out targeting holds. I think in this instance you just target good relievers, and they should get holds. You would think, and right? I, and I'm and particularly I, if they're expected to work the eighth inning, right? Guys like, like Batances, Carl right? Edwards Jr. Yes. should be um, probably. Uh, I, I'm not 100 percent sure if he or Cishek will. Be the eighth inning guy, but you you still get a hold in the seventh inning if there's a lead. Yes, that's that's true. But the, I don't even know, like I don't even know that unless it's Andrew Miller right. or maybe Batances, I don't know that it's worth specifically targeting anybody because you know Anthony Swarzak, um, Pedro, um, uh, no, who was the guy for the Bias. Cardinals last year? Okay, fine. If it's not if it's not worth your, I'm still moving those guys like Batances up ahead of the bad closers. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um. So like we Tommy get, Hunter, that's one. We get past really probably Hector Neris. I think you can just treat those guys a lot like you would if they were closers. Like like, like not like exactly Herrera, like, you like would. Brad Brock. Yeah. Yeah. A, and maybe Brock actually is a guy that would get a bump because he is someone that's going to start the year as a closer. We're worried is going to lose his job he's when he comes key, back. Yeah. And he, he will be something all year. And we know he's good. So maybe I would move Brock up ahead of the guys like – and same for, for Morrow. I'd probably move him up a little bit as well. And you can give we're, – we're probably spending a little too much time. But, like, guys who you think are good who also have a chance to get saves, you should bump up. Nicasio, right. that's who I was thinking of. Juan Nicasio. Juan Nicasio. <laughs> All right. B. Rye, email. Dear Mike, Kraken, and Aaron. I guess Aaron Judge doesn't get a nickname. Uh, I draft 12th in a 12-team, 6 by 6 head-to-head categories league. What are your thoughts on loading up on reliable hitters, talking five of the first six picks, taking Kimbrell or Jansen in that group, and then using 7 and 8 for starting pitchers like Masahiro Tanaka, Kyle Hendricks, or Lance McCullers, John Lester. Is that waiting too long on starting pitcher? Or is that fine considering it would leave me with a lineup? Something like Bryant, Correa, Posey, Gordon, Gellich with an elite closer. I like it a lot. I like it a whole lot. This was definitely my go-to strategy uh, before this season. I don't dislike it this Did, year. Well, it was your go-to strategy without the closer, right? You weren't taking a closer in the top five or six rounds. I've taken closers that okay. high before. Um, I, I think part of the problem, though, is that... Uh, you have to take a, an elite closer in like the third or fourth round these days. And that's, that's, especially if you want Kenley Jansen. You can, yes. It, it, yeah, unless why, you, why wouldn't you rather take, why wouldn't you rather take an elite starting pitcher there? That's what I don't understand. And well, I don't understand what, like, in a categories league specifically, why Posey, um, if you're already getting like D Gordon, I Christian Yelich, like, I don't know it's enough categories hand out. Uh, well, that I'd ra- that I'd want to sacrifice a pitcher with that. It pick. depends. I, I the argument has always been just that pitchers get hurt. Just 
that that they get hurt more often that they're they're more fungible assets they they just they're harder to predict on a year to year basis so it's that had that had been the argument but and they're still hard to predict i guess on the top end but you're pretty sure the low end guys aren't going to become top end guys right but you you look at the non elite starting pitchers we assume Madison Bumgarner is fine because the shoulder injury wasn't related to throwing and because he came back and looked okay. But he's coming back from a major shoulder injury. Steven Strasburg could get hurt on April 15th. Noah Syndergaard might not make it to April 15th. Carlos Carrasco's not that risky, except last year was his first in- season with above 185 innings, I think. Luis Severino, same Those thing. two closers are more reliable than the pitchers you draft in the same range. I think they have been, but I, I mean, Craig Kim, well, Craig Kimber wasn't two years ago. Like their closers get hurt too. They do. Um, I like this strategy. Aroldis Chapman wasn't last year. I think that the Posey, Yelich, adding those guys in, I, I, like you've got five or six really good hitters like that. Your batting average is going to be quite a ways ahead of people and you can afford to just take specialists in the later rounds as well. Yeah. So yeah, that's I, a good point. I like it, but I understand why Scott doesn't. We will never agree on this strategy in Roto. Also, it would help to know what the extra categories are. Like, if sure. the extra categories are quality starts, then no, I'm probably not doing this. Because that's another starting pitcher category. All right, we've got an email from Michael. If Matt Olson, Greg Bird, Joey Gallo, and Reese Hoskins have their best-case scenario seasons, <laughs> how would you rank them? So we're just looking strictly at ceiling here. Which I, what I think you should mostly do in Roto. I think Reese Hoskins has the highest ceiling. I agree. Uh, I think Joey Gallo has the, the most outstanding singular tool. Mm-hmm. But. I'd probably put him last in ceiling because the batting average ceiling is so low. I think like, the what is the ceiling, ceiling for batting average? 250? I was well, going to so, say 240. Yeah, I did this exercise What's yesterday with, with just assume, just kind of, Heath didn't like it very much, but it was I, just, I, I just trying to take home runs, strikeout rate, BABIP, looking at what a player's like reasonable range as I view it. And I came up with a ceiling of about 240 for Joe, Joey Gallo's batting average. Mm-hmm. That That's enough for me to put him last of this group. I'd probably put Greg Bird second, um, considering I, the lineup he's in and as much as he walks. Like we talk about how hitters can't win you home runs. Um, I'm not so sure that Joey Gallo's ceiling isn't over 60 home runs. I, yeah. I, and I'm not saying like, I say over 60 just because I don't want to say Joey Gallo's ceiling is breaking the home run record. But in today's offensive environment with his bat, I, he is one of the two or three most likely hitters to break the home run record if anyone does. So... Like, if he gives you 60 home runs, I don't really care if he's hitting 250. 250. You really think he's more likely than... I said two or Judge three. Stanton. So I, this is, I think that's where I'd stop. This is the problem. He had a 30% home run to fly ball ratio last season. He had a 55% fly ball rate. Mm-hmm. He still only hit 136 fly balls. And now you expect him to get more playing time. Yeah. But... You've already, I mean, you have been the guy saying yeah. he didn't even play a full season. I just, I don't know, like 136 fly balls, I have no context for that. I'm not sure anybody listening 
Is that a high number? Is that a low number? Regardless of what the okay. what it is relative to other players, once you start looking at like, let's say he gets twenty percent more plate appearances and he gets twenty percent more fly balls, you're still like, there's still you're getting to like 160 fly balls with a 30 percent home run to fly ball rate, which he probably can't do that much better than. And all of a sudden, you're like, the ceiling might be 50 home runs just because he doesn't put the ball in play enough, you know. <laughs> but that's also assuming that he. Sure, he might improve the strikeout rate. Right. It's kind of a weird hypothetical because, like, you never go into a season so expecting rank, a player to reach his ceiling. Rank Matt Olson, Greg Bird, Joey Gallo, and Reese Hoskins based on their their ceiling. I I would say Hoskins, Bird, Olson, Gallo. <sighs> Hoskins, I agree Olsen, with Hoskins first. Gallo, for sure. Bird. I I think I would put Birds last, and I think I'd put Gallo ahead of Olson. All right, Jared from the oldest thoroughbred horse race track town in America. St. Augustine. Sure. Hey, Viagra, Viagra, Cialis, Stendra, and Levitra. Sure. I know what's considered good, average, and bad for all of the traditional stats, but when you're talking advanced stats, this is a good point. And we just saw an example of it just <laughs> nice now. Nice segue here. <laughs> you don't always give context. This is just what you get when you have a good host. I don't know what league averages for stats like ISO, line drive rate, Sierra, and OPS+. plus. It would be helpful to give league average when using these stats in the podcast. Would you like league average for those stats last year? So, OPS plus is 100. It's tuned to be league and park adjusted so that 100 is supposed to be average every year. Sierra is tuned so that it looks like ERA. Right? Yes. But so what's I'd, average Sierra? I would guess 3-9. The average Sierra last season was 4.28. Okay. Which is odd because ERA, FIP, and XFIP were all 4.36. Okay. But, but obviously, if it's, you know, if it's, if it's supposed to model ERA. It may not have been tuned. The average just, ERA is actually a very bad ERA for fantasy purposes. Right. So, right. The, average the average ISO Sierra, I mean. is 171. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The average BABIP is almost always around 300. Even with the juice ball. What I would tell Jared, the only thing I would say in addition to that is that um, the league average is not always relevant to the player we're talking about. Uh, when we talk about guys regressing, we're not always talking about regressing to the league average. We're talking about regressing to what we would expect from a player with their skill set. There are certainly players that are going to really struggle to ever have a 300 BABIP. There are players... Joey Gallo. There are going to be players that almost always have a BABIP over 320 or 30 or higher. Maybe Aaron Judge. Like, maybe Aaron Judge. Mike Trout. Mike Trout for sure. D. Gordon for sure. Um, so you have to look at it in the context of what type of player they are with BABIP specifically. And you also have to keep in mind with some of the all-in-one tools like Sierra, like FIP, they may not have been tuned to adjust for a juiced ball environment where home runs are uh, more profligate. All right, let's move on to the big news. You guys pretty much covered this during the first, we, we did, during the first base podcast, but San Diego signed Eric Hosmer to an eight-year, $144 million deal. Scott, you like Hosmer more than Heath and I do. None of us likes him enough to really draft him where you probably need to invest in him, right? Uh. Yeah, probably not. I've gotten him in some of our in-house drafts. I've gotten him in one or two of those because there are so many avoiding him. Uh, and I don't think going to San Diego really changes much. It's bad hitter's environment, but he, he was already in one. It's a bad lineup, but certainly last year he was already in one. Uh, 
pretty much status quo for him. Uh, according to Andy McCullough of the Los Angeles Times, Los Angeles Dodgers catcher Tasmania Grandma, <laughs> also known as Yasmani Grandal by his given name, <laughs> appears to be the team's primary catcher. And this is where most of the signs have been pointing in the spring. Scott, I know you're disappointed. The Tasmanian Grandma. I am kind of disappointed. Um, but you can only be so disappointed in Yasmani Grandal still having an everyday job because he's well. One he's, of the it's best not an everyday job. First of all, he's the, pri- the They're saying he's job. the primary catcher. That might be sixty percent of the time he starts, and it might not last either. Because I mean, they they kind of tipped their hand in the playoffs last year. They they did tip their hand that they deep down they prefer Barnes. He got they almost all Barnes of the postseason starts. Grandal may just um, be And there was an there was a. Kind of a suggestion within this article that there's financial incentive to give Grandal the majority of the playing time. He's a free agent this off season, mm-hmm. um, so it keeps his trade value high. It keeps Austin Barnes' arbitration value low, and that may be true. Um, personally, like I, I could just be disappointed that you know I, I can't count on Barnes to be my number one catcher in fantasy anymore, but. It's also exciting that I get the chance to draft Barnes as my number two catcher in a two-catcher league now, or for cheaper in a very deep league. Have you moved Yasmani Grandal up since the start of spring training? Uh, yeah, they are now 10th and 11th in my catcher rankings, Grandal and then Barnes. I have also moved them up in Roto. I have Grandal 12th. I have dropped Barnes to 17th. Okay. And Daniel Murphy may not be ready for opening day. He's recovering from knee surgery. That's not a great sign because he is, what, 34 years old? Um, he's old. Yeah, and Officially. this could be a – he's not as old as Adrian Beltre, but we saw Adrian Beltre, Josh Donaldson, two guys who still produced, but they had injuries linger throughout the season. How far down have you moved Daniel Murphy down your draft board? He is only 32. He will turn 33 in a month and a half. Wow. I've not yet moved him down my draft board. If two weeks from now he is not doing any participation, then I will drop him. This is the reason he's behind Brian Dozier in my rankings, is uh, this knee. Uh, I think it was microfracture surgery he had. Um, and I remember the first mock we did. He went in round five, and I was like, why is he going so late? And <laughs> I've since come around to the idea that, yeah, he probably shouldn't go any earlier than that. And, in fact, I'm not – I haven't I, – I think I drafted him in that draft in round five, and I haven't drafted him since because it's not um, – you know, he's he's in theory the last of the elite second baseman, a position where there is – one of the few infield positions where there is a severe drop-off uh, in the early rounds. But uh, I, I think I might just let somebody else have him. Since ADP Boy is busy doing other things today, I'll just say that his current average draft position is the sixth, second baseman, fifth, because Anthony Rizzo doesn't count, at the uh, just at the five six turn, barely okay. in front of Jonathan Scope, who is being wildly over. I would guess Daniel Murphy probably drops a bit as we move on, but he could end up being a really nice value. The less big, but still kind of big news as Adam Azer. Phrased it, Houston starting pitcher Forrest Whitley has been suspended for 50 games for violating the minor league drug program. Forrest Whitley was a sixth round pick in the dynasty startup mock draft. Scott White's number 24 
uh, fantasy prospect coming into the season. Had you moved him down as a result of this, or is that where he always was? That's where he always was. That's where I'm inclined to keep him. 50-game suspension uh, in the minor leagues uh, ranks typically means it wasn't performance-enhancing. A couple years ago, 2015, I think, Alex Reyes, whose name we all know, got a 50-game suspension for testing positive for marijuana. Yep. Um, so... I think he, I saw a report that it was a, not a performance enhancing drug. It was a right. There was like recreational a recreational drug. Right. Um, but you know, if he has a problem, then that's a problem. But sure. it, there, we have no reason to believe it was anything and like Forrest that. And Forrest Whitley point, so. really made a name for himself in the prospect game last season. Yep. Uh, was a first round pick, 17th overall two years ago. 13.9 K per nine, 283 RA, moved from low class A all the way to double A. I, I, I think there's a belief among prospect rankers who don't have to give as much credit to proximity as I do, which is why I rank somebody like Brent Honeywell ahead. But I think there's a belief among the, the true prospect rankers out there. I'll consider myself a fake one that uh, Whitley's the best pitching prospect in baseball. So the the numbers certainly bear that out. Yeah. Uh Minnesota Twins GM Thad Levine said Miguel Sano put on weight coming into spring training. Let's be clear. He said he has a quote generous carriage, which is one of the all-time great fat guy euphemisms that I've ever heard. I'm going to refer to myself as a person who has a generous carriage uh <laughs> from now on. So, just a heads up. Yeah, I thought it Miguel was nice. Miguel Sano, ref- recovering from off-season surgery to repair, I believe, a stress fracture in his shin. That is certainly a concern for someone who's overweight. Now, the overweight factor is partially the result of undergoing off-season surgery. He couldn't mm-hmm. put any weight on the leg. But yeah. this is someone who... Not in the best shape of his life. Not in the best shape of his life. I'm not sure when he's been in the best shape of his life. Uh, Miguel Sano's always been a bigger guy. It hasn't really hampered him to this point, but, you know, has had a little bit of trouble staying healthy in the majors, has had a little bit of trouble with consistency. And has some question marks in terms of his availability for this full season. Has some question marks about his availability, has some question marks about his ability to play the field. Um, And has some question marks, and I know Chris hates this, but... He, he, he's one of those players who gets a reputation of not making baseball his top priority. Sure. Uh, there which, are, there which are, is difficult to do at the major league level. There are a lot of red flags with, with Miguel Sano. He's facing off-field, uh, investigations about a, uh, an assault charge. So there are a lot of red flags about Miguel Sano coming into the season for fantasy purposes. Are you moving him down at this point? I'm not moving him down because I was factoring in a lot of these things already. I haven't even come close to drafting him yet, and I don't expect I will. He's somebody I don't want. I, I don't think the, particularly in the current environment where power is so prevalent and power is, uh, I guess he has some on-base ability, but otherwise power is the only thing he really provides. Like, risk doesn't seem worth the reward. I am moving him down a little bit. I did not expect him to show up to camp overweight. Um, I, I guess my struggle, and I've been pretty clear and, and written about, wrote about this just yesterday, that in Roto, I'm really just interested in upside. Because I don't have any interest in being in fifth or sixth place in August, 
because you're basically done. And Sano does have huge upside still. And um, I, like his ADP right now is 113 overall. Thank you, ADP boy. So yes or so no at that price? Given what we've heard, I I lean towards no. So no. So no. Yes, I am <laughs> dropping him below that in my rankings. I am dropping him to 13th at third base in Roto. The area where I can't drop him to or past is the Kyle Seeger, Mike Moustakas yep. group, because I don't like. If I have those guys on my team, whatever, I can find that production. You can find 38 home runs? He's not hitting 38 home okay. runs this year. He might not even play in April. I mean, he might hit 50 if he plays in the Yankee Stadium. Talk about a guy that's not in the best that's shape right. of his life. He's not even on a team. Get him in Yankee Stadium. Come on. You don't, need so to, you don't need to save a spot for Glaber Torres. Who's Brad, Brandon Drury? How many home runs did he hit last year? Some other news. The Los Angel- Angeles Angels of Anaheim are lowering the feet, the wall in right field by 10 feet. They had an 18-foot wall that extended almost from the foul pole to roughly center, right center. Would that be the way to, uh, the right way to phrase it? Uh, so, center, right center, I think, yes. And not like, yes. Most of right field. Conspiracy theory time. Heath, I know you love conspiracy theory. I do, very much. This was the reason Shohei Otani signed. <laughs> I had that, that thought was the as well. Only, he was only going to sign there if they lowered the wall. <laughs> Otherwise, like, he saw that. I'm, he's like, I can't he was do going this. you got to get rid of this. Okay, well, I've, I've got a question for you then okay. that I think is interesting. Does this – because personally, I think this probably hurts Otani's value more than it helps it. Because he's a pitcher. Because he's a pitcher. He, his hitting is not something I was in, – in a daily transaction mm-hmm. league, sure. He, I would definitely have interest in him as a hitter. In a weekly transaction league, I have, or weekly lineup league, I have almost zero interest in him as a hitter. So this is a negative. Does and this boost anyone for the Angels in your eyes? Cole Calhoun. Okay. He's their one left-handed everyday hitter with some pop. And there have been some studies, and I have no one to credit for them because I have not been able to find out who did it. <laughs> and that also tells you that you should maybe take it with a grain of salt, that it could give him four to seven more home runs. That's Big increase. It seems high to me. Yeah, yeah. It sounds pretty high. But I don't know how many balls he hit off that wall. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's either. entirely possible. All right, we got some Tampa Bay Rays news. Uh, let's move through this stuff a little quicker. Tampa Bay acquired CJ Crone for the Angels for a player to be named later and DFA'd Corey Dickerson. Any interesting CJ Crone outside of AL only leagues? He's he's in my top 300 now in Roto, uh, but you know probably not to the point that you're drafting him as any more than a bench player. I think he's going to play a lot more for Tampa than he ever did for the Angels, who always seemed Mike Sosha always seemed reluctant to use him as a full time player, even though he's not good. Tended to perform. He's not good. Slightly above decently. average. I mean, CJ Crone's not good. I think he's better than like Ryan Healy. You know, I would be shocked if CJ Crone had a season as good as Ryan Healy did last year. I will say this about C.J. Crone. I think he is a placeholder. Okay. I mean, sort of like Jake yeah, Bowers? Yeah. Oh, there's yeah. a good chance of that. I, I think he will play more than he ever played in Anaheim for all of about six weeks. And then they're going to start calling people up because they, they're cheap and they don't want to lose the year or control of them. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. The, the other Im- impacts of that, they also signed Carlos Gomez. I think that's the much more interesting uh, fantasy outcome. He's had trouble staying healthy over the last few years. Was really bad in about 125 games with the Houston Astros, but otherwise has just been Carlos Gomez. His yeah. season with the Rangers last year was really quite good. Uh, 
I don't know. I don't know that I'd go that far. I I didn't I did not move him into my top three hundred, so um I so can't, that. I can't that, make sense of that. He's gonna play every day. Who? Uh, Carlos is, is he going to play every day? I question that. Why wouldn't he? Okay, he's going to play every day for how long? I mean, we we think the same thing, but I'm, we're I'm we're talking relative here because there are other guys that we don't think will have an everyday role for the entire season that we've moved up. If we're moving CJ Crone up, Carlos Gomez, 105 games last year, hit 17 home runs, 13 stolen bases. The year before, 13 home runs, 18 stolen bases. He's not going to help you in batting average, but he's going to hurt you. I mean, if he hits 255, he's not going to hurt you that much. He's they not- still have a lot of players. Um, how many out? I mean, they have Malik Smith, they have Kevin Kiermaier. Okay. Uh, who's currently projected to be their leadoff hitter. Sure. Uh, but they, th- I think he's going to play DH. Um, they've got your boy Ryan Schimpf. Yeah, he's not gonna, he's not gonna play the outfield. Uh, he could be in the DH mix. He could be. He could also play third. He could also play third. I, I guess they'll, like, I mean, power speed combos are rare. And this guy yeah. has 20-20 potential if he plays out every day. I suppose he does, with a low batting average probably, um, and it's a big if. So, you know, how much are you valuing, uh, man, I'm not good at these examples off the top of my head. In Roto, we'd rather have Cameron Mabin than Carlos Gomez. Carlos Gomez hit for a higher yes. batting average than CJ Crone last year. Yes, I, but I do think Crone has higher batting average potential. Like it was, Crone hit 280. Almost over in 2016. The last, over the last four seasons, he's had a bad average. Podcast and, I, and, I bad and I think he has more and I think he has more power than Gomez. Like the bottom line is, I think Gomez is pretty much done, and I would be surprised if he gets even 400 at bats. And Tampa Bay acquired Anthony Banda from Arizona. Is he someone anyone needs to know about? Scott, he could be in their rotation at some point this year. He's a pretty good prospect. Not a great prospect. So but, uh, only guy. Yeah, Nick Solak. Anyone we need to worry about? How about Steven Sousa in Arizona? Yuck. He's the Steven <laughs> yeah, guy. I'm worried season. about him. It's funny. Where he's going from Tampa Bay to Arizona. Normally think that's great for a hitter's value, but now it seems like potentially would, a disaster. I would guess it's probably like, – Tampa Bay is one of the worst hitting parks in baseball. Like one of the three worst hitting parks in baseball. I Would you call it one of the three worst hitting parks in baseball? I'm not sure it'd be in my bottom five. I think that's what it's been. I think we should talk about, uh, especially the, for power, the history of it, and not the uh, not the what we think. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty um, sure the Park Factor is rated as one of the worst, especially for power. Park Factor had it ranked in a huge tie for sixth overall, with sixth best, sixth worst, worst yeah, yes, but not bottom three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think for power, it probably is bottom three in 2017. It was tied with San Diego for eighth. Worst. So, like, Arizona might be just a barren wasteland for power, but... That's my fear. Re- but, like, we're not sure yet. We know Tampa Bay's a bad place to Yeah, be. but are you going to stick your neck out for Steven Souza? My not expectation me. is that I have no expectation of season- Steven Souza getting an environmental impact in this move. Mm-hmm. That it will be very similar to where he was. Because it doesn't, like, the difference in the price. He's being drafted 184th. Is, what's that? He's being drafted 184th. The price is very low. For the a price... guy who can, who hit 30 homers and stole 15 bases last season. Yes. 
the price is very low. I'm a little they have way too many guys. They have way too many guys. I just think Yasmani Tomas isn't gonna play. That, he's not good. That I I don't necessarily agree that he's just not good, but they could decide to just not play him. I would like I mean, they do have too many guys. I don't think Steven Sousa is gonna be the one who suffers from that. Like he he and AJ Pollock are the best of the guys in the outfield. All right, let's move through the last bit of news. Miami signed Cameron Mabin. This is actually pretty interesting. He should be inside your your top two seventy six, right? Yes, for, for sure. Roto. In Roto, yeah, should be drafted and yeah. started in Roto. He was on a forty plus steal pace last season. Let's hope the Marlins let him run wild. They, I, I feel like to generate offense, they'll need him to. I feel like, considering that's what he's good at, Could why wouldn't off. they ask him to? Um, yeah, he's up there with like Delino DeShields for me, those late round steals specialists. Also, Malik Smith moving up there yeah. with with Steven Souza and Corey Dickerson. We didn't even really get into Corey Dickerson DFA. That was the shocker, right? Well, we just yeah, we just don't know where he's gonna play, and yeah. until we do, I lowered him in my rankings a lot because. They DFA'd him because they couldn't find a trade partner, which has me wondering if he's going to land a full-time job anywhere. All right, Alex Wood will pitch exclusively out of the stretch. Yes. We'll see if it works for him. Ban the windup. Uh, Arizona signed Jared Dyson, another guy who could be a late-round source of steals. I would guess he doesn't play every day, though. Not now. Uh, Baltimore signed Chris Tillman to a one-year $3 million deal. Was a disaster. Barely, barely pitched last year, right? Just couldn't get healthy. Um, oh, he pitched a lot. It was, um, it, but yeah, he was dealing with issues all season. I just, and it was terrible. He barely pitched because he got pulled in the third inning every start. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sure. He made 24 <laughs> appearances, uh, 784 ERA. Chris Tillman in 2016 had like an ugly ERA, but I remember Heath, you had cited this a bunch that it was mostly against Toronto. Yes. Uh, I feel like. So uh, 2016? Maybe 2015. I think that was 2015 and I was right. It dropped down to 377. So he could be mixed league relevant, but not someone you need to draft. Aaron Boone said the Yankees will be careful with Luis Severino, but there is no innings restriction. That makes sense because he didn't really have that big of an innings jump last season from his career high. Cincinnati has Nick Senzel playing shortstop and third base in spring training. He's not expected to join the uh, major league roster to start the season, right? Not to start the season. I would expect him up at some point this year, and they're going to have to figure out what to do about that because Suarez is pretty good. I actually thought second base was more in the works than shortstop. Um, but, uh, maybe this is, maybe this is, uh, reason to believe they like Scooter Jeanette a lot too. Cincinnati will also be using a four-man rotation in the outfield with, uh, Jesse Winker. I think Billy Hamilton is expected to play mostly in center field. Uh, Adam Duvall is expected to play mostly in left field. And so it's going to be finding time for Scott Shebler and Jesse Winker. Kind of knocks all of them down, right? At least to start. Uh, again, like, what else were they going to do? It was kind of expected. And I think Winker is the best. I, I think Winker's their best outfielder. So, uh, you know, if, if, if I thought Winker was going to be an everyday player from the get-go, he might be in my top 40. He's only in my top 60 because he's going to have to earn it. Yep. But I think he will. I think, uh, I think he's going to be the Reds' second best hitter this year. And Nick Senzel, whenever he's up, he's got Alex Bregman potential. Uh, has like 30 stolen bases in 190 career minor league games. Wait, what Alex Bregman's done or whatever he thinks Alex Bregman's going to do. What everybody thinks Alex Bregman's okay. potential is. 
And the Twins acquired Jake Odorizzi from Tampa Bay for infielder Jermaine Palacios. Jake Odorizzi is not someone who benefited from Tampa Bay being a tough place to hit last season. Um, uh, he was terrible. Right. He but was I terrible. Think he, he definitely benefited from Tampa Bay. He has been like a half run better. I think he was a half run better last was year. Was he really? And I thought he was really been, bad at home last year. He has been considerably better over his career. His career road ERA is right around, I think, let me just pull it up right here so I don't give a fake number. You know, we like to be very precise on this podcast. Um, yeah, I'm, there are a lot of people that seem to think that Tampa Bay's approach with pitchers. Yes. Was a lot having of a high, negative impact on Odorizzi. A lot of high better. fastballs. That is, uh, that's been their organizational philosophy His, uh, to try to counteract the right. uppercut swings that a lot of headers are using. It's not working. His career <laughs> ERA at home is 3.40. Right, very very good. good pitcher. His career road ERA is four three five. Not that good. Not not a, not like with his. Are you, did you move Jake Odorizzi down? I left him in basically the same place because the one good thing for Jake Odorizzi is his win potential goes up considerably. He's not on the terrible Rays, or as Scott likes to call them, the contenders. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's people listening have no concept for that. What are you talking about? CJ Crone MVP season. Here we go. Um, and actually, you are correct. He had a four two seven home ERA last year. It was the first year he did not have an ERA below four. See, told you. See, when I say you are correct, yeah. there's no need for you to say see. I told yeah. you. Yeah. All right, let's get back to some emails to close out the show. CBS Fantasy Baseball at cbsi.com is the email address. You missed one more piece of news. Alex Cora has said that Hanley Ramirez is currently his number three hitter. <laughs> Mookie Betts. Benintendi, Hanley, J.D. Martinez. All right. Some folks on Twitter pointed out to me. So as the emphasis was on currently, and J.D. Martinez isn't officially a Red Sox yet. That's That was what people but were he, saying. But he cited J.D. Martinez as the number four? No. No. Okay. That's, that's Heath. Uh, so, I mean, do we expect Hanley to play first base every day? Um, that's the only spot like he right would have now, to. Right? He would have to, yeah. yeah. I don't expect him to play first base every day, no. Uh, Cora has talked about how he wants to get guys regular rest, and with having Eduardo Nunez, Moreland, and Hanley, that's easy to do. So yeah. I would expect he's going to be their opening day first baseman. Yeah. I would expect he's going to be towards the middle of their lineup opening day. He's, he's in the best shape of his life. And it may, like, if, if he is hitting between Betts Benintendi and Martinez, like, that's a good thing for him. Like maybe F- fabulous late round pick. Maybe it's a maybe it's a plan. Maybe it's a strategy to try and and uh, you know get the best out of him, which you know. All right, now the manager should do. Fantasy baseball at cbsi dot com. Jamie in Baltimore was hoping you could address a rankings disparity. Hmm. Looking at your rankings, he's trying to figure out what justifies the disparity: thirty plus spots in pitchers like Sonny Gray and Jose Quintana versus Lance Lynn. Andrew Pomerantz, can you tell me why you would draft Gray and Quintana so much earlier in a standard team, in a standard 12-team Roto League with a conventional scoring categories? What makes them so better than Lynn and Pomerantz? Oh, gosh. Well, Lynn. Lynn's Lynn should be easy, so I'm not even going to address it. He doesn't have a team, uh, and, and he may not. He was awful last year. <laughs> he, was, he was not awful he last was year. Awful he had, last year. His he results had, were very good. 
Yes. His peripherals were disastrous. He allowed a lot more home runs than he usually does, and it um, inflated his fit. He had a two forty four BABIP against, and he had a 79% strand rate. And, yes, he did give up 1.3 home runs per nine. Yeah. But... And maybe he will continue to do that. I, I don't know. But, like, it, to me, it should be just the 7.4K per nine. It should be obvious why Lynn is worse than Quintana and Sonny Gray. So, Pomeranz, Pomeranz had a hand. similar K rate. Very My issue good. with Pomeranz is that the Red Sox employ him like a fifth starter. Like, five, maybe six innings. He's not going to give you the length of certainly Quintana. Now, Sonny Gray kind of had that issue after going to the Yankees, too. Um, and, you know. May have it this year. It may be a problem. I may have Gray overranked because of that. But I think he's a better pitcher in terms of, um, wit potential. And I think he's a better pitcher in terms of how the Yankees bullpen is going to preserve the, the leads that he gives them. I will and, just uh, hopefully more wins that way. Yeah, I will stump for Jose Quintana because uh he is a guy that for like six years now we've talked about how he should win more games and he really never has. Like he had twelve one year, but that's still last year he was really pretty good and had some bad luck. He was at least as good as he's been for most of his career. I would really expect him to get right back to 200 innings this year. I would expect him. Jose Quintana should win 15 games. Let's make it happen. Could get 230 strikeouts if he sustains the strikeout rate from last season. There's a lot to like about Jose Quintana. And and to further distinguish Gray from Pomerantz, like Gray has been that innings eater in the past. He's been a Cy Young runner-up in the past. Pomerantz has never given any team he's pitched for that kind of length. So, like, I just don't think he has it in him. All right, Matt from Milwaukee. Dear Lucky, Captain, Tony, and Tricks. Three good cereals and trash. Which one's the trash? You know which one's the trash. I don't know which one's the trash. Tell me which one's the trash. Tricks. Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch? Yes. Get out of town. Trash. That's the best of them. Yeah, that's trash. The best of them. Which that's one's ridiculous. tricks? Ridiculous. What? Which one's tricks? The little circle Just round cup. Yeah. Oh, those are. No, they're they're fruit shaped. What? Uh, the... Oh, there's tricks. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. two different things. There's like plain tricks that are just like little orange puff balls, which are gross. They're better than Captain Crunch. Eh, I don't like Frosted Flakes either. Oh, you're, thinking of kicks. you're thinking of kicks, Chris, not tricks. All right, Matt from Milwaukee. I'm in a 12-team categories mixed league. He's drafting 11th. From what he's seen so far, it looks like he'll have the choice of Kluber, Scherzer, Bryant, and Machado. How worthwhile is it to draft Chris Bryant and then Machado on the turn? So one thing to keep in mind is for the first week of the season, Manny Machado will have to go in your corner infield spot, not your shortstop spot. Well, and we don't know for sure. We're, oh. Okay. I feel better now. (laughs) I didn't see the categories word. I saw 12-team mixed league. Okay. And I did not know for sure that it was a categories. I would get one of the aces, personally. Yeah, I'm... I haven't been drafting that way in mocks, but I've been consistently disappointed enough in my pitching that I, I think it's time to start doing that. If you have, if you pick in the back half of, of a standard 12 team draft, you want to come out of it with one of the aces. It doesn't necessarily have to be your first pick. I don't know that there's a big difference between Scherzer and Kluber. I actually like Kluber a little more. Um, so, you know, waiting till your second pick to take him and then taking your favorite hitter of the two, which in, I think would be Bryant for me. Um, that's probably what I'd do. Scott, do you want to share your uh, your current dilemma? 
in, the dilemma's in, been resolved. Right? Tout wars, yeah, my but, tout but wars dilemma. I don't know that I want to get my strategy. It's out relevant there. to this uh, to this discussion. No, I'm just kidding because uh, tout wars is a 15 team uh, true roto league, right? Yes, uh, yes. I mean there there are. I mean I, I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard of tout wars. It's one of the more well known industry leagues, and there are different versions of it. I am in the draft version of tout wars. Most of them are auctions. Um, so yesterday we were picking our where we're going to pick in the 15-team draft. Based on how we finished last year, I was second, so I picked second. The guy who picked finished first picked first, one of Mike Trout, obviously. My initial thought was, okay, well, Jose Altuve, that's pretty clear number two. Maybe I should just go ahead and take him. But a couple reasons why I decided not to. First, Tout Wars uses OBP instead of batting average. It's the only way it's different from traditional roto scoring. And while Jose Altuve is still elite in OBP, he is not on an island like he is with batting average. Yep. A lot of the hitters who you could get early in the second round are going to have a similar OBP. So uh, I decided to pick 12th. And the reason I decided that is because, especially since it's a 15-team league, I want one of those four super aces. And... um. I don't know, like, if I'd picked 15th, seemed like there was a reasonable chance I would get none of them. So, 12th, I wanted to, I wanted to pick there. I think, you know, one of the four, probably Scherzer or Kluber, is still gonna be there for sure. Um, and then, it would mean my second round pick is 19th. And, in that format, I feel like there are 19 first round caliber players. Somebody like Anthony Rizzo, let's say, I get him. He's going to have a 390 OBP himself and give you 30 home runs. So I'd be fine with him as my top hitter in the second round. You know, Aaron Judge might be there. Uh, maybe it's Carlos Correa or, or even even like Chris Bryant doesn't seem outside the realm of possibility. So uh, that's my plan. I really wanted an ace, and I knew if I if I was going to just accept the second pick, accept Jose Altuve, I wasn't going to get one of those four aces. All right. Josh writes in, hey, Team Crot and Heatum? Hadum? I don't know. Ham. We're going ham. Ham. Okay. The Joey Gallo hype train is gaining speed. Can you please make a case for why he won't turn into 2017 Chris Carter and give a rough guesstimate of what to expect? We kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but he is a player who has the potential for a really low floor. Um we saw last year before he got hot in the second half, they weren't willing to play him every day when they had uh, Adrian Beltre healthy. Now, I don't know if that'll be the same case this year because I just I don't know if they have the horses to take Joey Gallo out of the lineup every day. The option would be Ryan Rua or Jer- Jerks and Profar. Yeah, they're but, saying he's the everyday first baseman. Now, if he comes that, out of the gate hitting 150 over three weeks, which is certainly possible... Would they change their minds? I don't know. When you established his floor and ceiling last night on Twitter, his ceiling and batting average is, or floor and batting average is what he did last year, right? Uh, a little lower. He had 209 last year. I think I had him at like 202. Yeah, I, like, could he turn into 2017 Chris Carter? I don't really think so. Is he Chris Carter-esque? Yes. Um, but, yeah, man, he just hits the, crap out of the ball and I do agree with Chris's assessment that last year was pretty close to his floor in terms of average 
Yeah, I mean, he he's going to be a low BABIP guy, but 250, I think, is where he was last year. That might be a little... Steamer has him as a 285 BABIP going into this year with 227 average and 38 home runs. I just, I do worry that 285 might be closer to his BABIP ceiling uh, yeah. just because of the batted ball profile. Well, they probably didn't use the process quite as robust as yours to determine it. Well, they're regressing more towards league average without taking into account the skill set. Uh, John writes in, Hey, Michael, Dwayne, and Jim, I noticed on the updated rankings that Colton Wong is ranked in the mid-30s, while John has him closer to the early 20s in a 12-team head-to-head league. Is Colton Wong worthy of a late-round pick, or is it better to wait and see how his first month or two is? As a point of reference, he seemed to revert back to his 2015 form in the last half of 2017. Um... I'm not seeing what he really is good at other than maybe getting on base uh, at an above average clip. He's kind of like a poor man Cesar Hernandez, I guess, who himself is a late round pick. And that's if Colton Wong plays every day, which seeing as he's a left-handed batter and they have a bit of an infield um, playing time crunch there. They've talked about Matt Carpenter playing some second base this year. It wouldn't surprise me if it becomes basically a Jose, uh, a Colton Wong, Jose Martinez platoon where uh, Matt Carpenter moves over from first to second and Martinez comes in against left-handed pitchers, in which case Wong clearly isn't mixed league material. And even as a full-timer, I'm not I sure think, he is. I think in, in a head-to-head league where you don't have a middle infield spot, I don't think Colton Wong is uh, is worth drafting. I agree Definitely with that. Not. I do think in Roto where you have a middle infield spot, there's nothing wrong with taking a shot on him late in the draft. There's so many other middle infielders I'd rather do. I'm not even going to address the the joke there's so many infielders i'd rather do that with though like uh i mean jed lowry was actually a good fantasy contributor last year and he's going widely undrafted like i don't i don't see how colton wong's upside is higher than jed lowry i'd rather have cesar hernandez sure probably gonna hit for like colton wong's best asset is probably batting average cesar hernandez hit 294 each of the last two seasons he's like 288 the last three seasons overall Assured regular playing time, probably going to run a little more than Wong. Steal more bases, might have more power at this point. I don't, yeah. I, I, like you said, I don't think Colton Wong does anything special at this point. Uh, Zach writes in, what is James Paxton's value in Dynasty? Should you look to move him or hope that he finally pitches more innings? If you are in a league with Chris or Scott, you should look to move him. <laughs> I think people forget. Get I don't think the Chris James, and Scott are lower or are higher on James Paxton than the industry. I think the industry really likes James Paxton. How old James Paxton is? He's like twenty nine, right? They do. Yep. He's yeah, 20, he's that, older than you think. He is not someone that I feel. I certainly like. I think his value is probably higher on a yearly basis than it is in Dynasty, because he is somebody that has really struggled to put together a season with a lot of innings. I know. Chris will cite through 171 innings in 2016. Yes. Got hit by a pitch. Right. Um, also looking at the entirety of his career, he is a guy that has struggled to put together seasons with a lot of innings. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's 29 already. Like, but I, I, I think from a dynasty standpoint and the age is important. Yes. You have to consider ceiling also. And in his case, realize ceiling. All he has to do to be potentially a top five pitcher in fantasy is pitch more innings. He's he's kind of a left-handed Noah Syndergaard. So I I mean I can I've 
I have dynasty rankings on the site. I can tell you exactly how I value him in dynasty leagues. I value him 61st overall, which I think is higher actually than I have him in, in a seasonal rankings. So, um, of the, of all the pitchers who I rank outside of my top 15, he's the one that, that has the best chance of being top five. And I think that in a, in a long-term context, I mean, 29, yes, but he still probably has four or five good years left. I, I think he's, you he should value him pretty highly. All right. Dear Walter, Sylvester, Toby, and Cabe. I have no idea. Anybody? Walter, Sylve- Sylvester, Toby, and Cabe. Not a clue. Is, are those cats? No. Maybe. Who's Cabe? I don't know. Wondering what your thoughts are on Mr. Jan Hervis Solarte looking at his stats and path to playing time. I could conceivably see him as this year's version of Marwin Gonzalez. Decent pop, decent average, eligible to play at two to three positions. What are your thoughts on Jan Harvis, or do you see another player potentially being this year's Marwin equivalent? They look like characters from the show Scorpion. Um, I wasn't listening to the question at all because uh, I was Jan Harvis Solarte. I like have him. always liked Jan Harvis Solarte. This could be an outstanding situation for him moving to an excellent offensive environment. They have too many infielders in Toronto, a lot too many infielders. I am concerned about that. He does have Marwin Gonzalez potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see him hitting 25 homers and with a 285 average in Toronto. Yeah. I wouldn't be that surprised. There I could is... see him getting 375 plate appearances this year. Yeah. No, those are, I think that's, like, I like him more than Marwin Gonzalez, than I ever liked Marwin Gonzalez going into last year. So yeah, I could easily see that outcome for him. Um, makes a lot of contact, has been adding power year after year. But it's it's just how how committed are they to De- Devin Travis and how healthy will Devin Travis be? All right, from Tim, last email. Hi, Cal, Lou, and Everett. My first thought is 80s shortstops, but I don't know what Everett would be. Cal, Lou, and Everett. I don't know. We get to keep two guys a round sooner than the previous year's placement and last year's draft. I focused more on... Reliable players and possible breakouts, although he did draft Mitch Hanniger in the late rounds because of Scott's constant praise. Who do you see as next year's judge or other similar type of breakout? I should target in the mid to late rounds as a keeper for next year. Also, should he consider keeping Hanniger in the 19th round? All right, so you ready for this? Cal Ripken broke Lou Gehrig's record, broke Everett Scott's record. There you go. Are you ready for this? There is not an Aaron Judge this year. We've gotten this question quite a bit. Who is this year's Aaron Judge? That doesn't happen. And so, like, there will be a breakout player. We can talk about some breakout players. Do not put that type of expectation on anyone this year, though, because it's not going to happen. Aaron Judge probably not going to pick the right guy. Aaron Judge probably isn't going to happen again. (laughs) Yeah. So that's with that said. I have I killed fun. Yes. Completely. Yes. It's dead. It's gone. Good. Uh, I think David Dahl's getting forgotten about. Also Ryan McMahon. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, either one of them. Either one, depending on who gets the playing time. Uh, and maybe they both do. Because they realize Gerardo Parr is better off on the bench. Uh, but I think either one of them could be a huge breakout for next to nothing cost. Also Austin Hayes, who I've mentioned before. That was, that was one of the guys I was looking at for yeah. this question. A uh, guy with completely different profile that I think could be a huge 
breakout that got a lot of playing time last year, but I think is being overlooked, especially in Roto, is Bradley Zimmer. That's another guy I was looking at. He has a uh, 25-25 potential probably. What? Do you, how many bases oh, did he his, steal last year? His base stealing potential I I think is is much higher than 25. He stole 18 in 101 games last year. Um, in the minors in 2016, he stole 38. In 2015, he stole 44. So, okay. Yeah, he could be, he didn't really show the power in the majors last year, but it's, it's there. Right. He definitely has that potential. He has a lot of on-base potential that he didn't show. So, uh, um, I would have liked to have seen it applied in a clear way in the majors, but it's definitely there. And just sort of a post-hype prospect, kind of like Aaron Judge, mm-hmm. uh, Austin Meadows, minor league numbers not as good as the uh, as the scouting reports, I think. Uh, especially last season, he really struggled at AAA. But scouts still really like him, as far as I know. And uh, there's a chance for playing time, right? Yes, there is. Now that Andrew McCutcheon's gone, um, yeah, there's. Uh, there's also another interesting guy, Jordan Luplo, who may yep. block him if he had like an OPS over 900 in the minors last year. Obviously not a prospect on Meadows' level, but I'm interested in seeing what he could do with a regular role for the Pirates. Um, but he's a little, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him in the same category as the McMahons and the Hayes's and even like Austin Meadows. And hell, Gregory Polanco. Oh. Post-type sleeper. Bold. If you made it to the end of this podcast. You the boat. Gregory Polanco, go ahead and draft him. There's a lot to like about his. Did skill you say set. Randall Grichik already? Randall Grichik. You got to love Randall, Randall Grichik. That's a guy that actually could have a mini judge type. Could have, yeah, it could have like a an almost forty Hits homer season. Not out of the ball. I don't buy it. I, I, I don't. I don't get the Grichik hype. I mean, the, you should look at his hard contact rate. There's no. Hype. Okay. No. There's, there's I no. I mean, hype. why hasn't it manifested better? Like, He's is free. is is Roger Center really that much better than Bush Stadium? Says the Tommy. 100%. Says the Tommy so. Fam guy. Maybe if he went to Coors Field. Yeah, Roger. Center. Roger, like, first off, he's always going to know when a slider's coming because the guy will just wave the white tail. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that helps a lot. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it. I'm not even going to try to do an outro because I'm the guy who laughs at Azer every time he fails. So. I'm just going to say thanks for listening. Adam will be back on Friday. 